0: the Bible. Are you intimidated at the thought of reading such a complicated book? Do you find it daunting or delightful or both? Welcome Welcome to to the the club,
1: club, the Bible book club, where we read every word of this
0: great book and then study it together. together. We're back with Exodus. And last episode, Moses, he's a prince of Egypt. He fell from grace a little. He killed an Egyptian and he tries to hide it and he runs. He runs to Midian, begins a second 40 years of his life, living it basically in obscurity. Mm -hmm. Nobody nobody knows him or or where he is, but he's going to rise to greatness again. Uh, He gets married and then he has some sons and he goes to Mount Sinai. This is the mountain where he will eventually return with the Israelites uh, and he meets God in a burning bush. So God calls him to lead the Israelites, but Moses is not having it. He begins this conversation with God. That's just really an argument. He's, He's fighting with God. And so he thinks, "God, you got the wrong guy. Yeah. Please not pick want the someone <laughs> else." I'm like, "You're crazy. I have a I have a stutter or whatever it was. You you got the wrong guy. Right. Go go look somewhere else, please." And uh, eventually he has to just understand that God is the great I am and God knows what he's doing. But I think Moses still has some some doubts there, right, which right. we're going to see. Yeah, right? he
1: doesn't believe that God's going to manage both the Israelites and the Egyptians, but we're going to get into that this week. So first to set this scene up, I really want us to understand the storyline of chapter four and to understand that we need to pause and ponder the storyline of our heroes. Hero. Where is Moses coming from and what in the world is he thinking? So remember, Moses is now 80 years old. And for the first 40 years of his life, he was told that he is special. He's royal. He's powerful. In fact, even Jochebed, his mother, his Israelite mother, probably told him that as a wee little child. Because you remember, she got to raise him for the first few years until he was weaned. From the moment he was born, she thought he was special. That is why she went to such great lengths to save him. And what mother doesn't think their kid is yeah. special, right? But I think she had some spiritual leaning that this is beyond normal. We talked about that. Well, I think you're special and I think <laughs> every, everyone all is All of special. you have a mother we do. who thinks you're we special. Do. Yes, we do. So yet in this second 40 years of his life, he has done everything he can to prove he is not special. Yeah. Cool. Last week, we read in, in chapter three, verse one, that Moses is tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, when he goes to Sinai to, to, and sees the bush. Now he's 80. There is nothing wrong with working for the family. I want to make that point. However, Lot worked for his uncle Abraham and Jacob worked for his father-in-law for 14 whole years. But after a while, they both had accumulated their own flocks and went on their way. Moses has been working for Jethro for 40 years and still he has no flocks of his own. He wasn't as good of a businessman (laughs) as Jacob was. He's still tending his father-in-law's flocks. He has, has he not asked for payment, which, you know, normally back then you would have asked for payment in, in your own flocks. Like, okay, give me a sheep for every week I work or something. Should he have had to ask? he has relegated himself to the position of slave to his father-in-law. Not that his father-in-law ever asked for this, but the fact that he still owns nothing puts him kind of in this position of what was he working for for free? Is this is this maybe a self-inflicted punishment because this is what his people are slaves back in Israel and he's hiding for them? Who knows? We don't know what's going on in his mind, but we have to ponder. Who is this man that has gone from this royal position? to this kind of like nothingness, Moses was a prince and has an MBA from the Egyptian Princeton equivalent. He had been given an incredible gift of education and God had a plan for him to use it, but he isn't using it, nor does it seem he is open to any kind of leadership. He clearly doesn't even want to lead his own sheep. He is content just working for somebody else. It seems as if our hero is stuck in time, serving a self-inflicted sentence because he failed. He has no thought for the future because in his mind, he doesn't deserve a future. He had it all, education, position, passion, and he failed. Moses has
0: sentenced himself to obscurity. And as you're putting it that way, I'm wondering how many other people have done the same thing. Oh, we are going to get to those questions. short change themselves Exactly. Well, if that's you, you're you listen listening to the right episode. Obscurity is the state of
1: being unknown, unseen, and unimportant. And here's the point, obscurity is never possible for you or for me or for Moses because God knows you, God sees you, and you are important to him. And we know this because the Bible clearly tells us. God knows you. Psalm 139:1 1 says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. God sees you. Psalm 139.2 says, You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. And lastly, God created you for a purpose. You are important. Psalm 139.16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed body all the days, ordained for me were written in your books before one of them came to be. These are promises to us. Moses cannot live in obscurity and neither can we. Here's a lesson we can learn from just this 40-minute podcast that took Moses 40 years. Obscurity is not an option. When we fail, we cannot hide. Adam and Eve tried that trick back in Genesis 3, listen to season 1, by hiding in the garden. Second, God uses failure to fortify us For the future, we must face our failures and ask God to use the lessons learned to help us in the future.
0: Yeah. So if you've failed, are you trying to hide in that obscurity that Susan is talking about? Do you think that you don't have a future What did you learn from your failure in that desert? Maybe it was that God had something that he was preparing you for. He had a lesson for you to learn through that situation and you are meant to grab the hand of somebody else who is going through that same thing you went through now that you're on the other side of it and be able to help them get through it. And what is that lesson? How, is, how has God used that to fortify you to do something really great for him?
1: And your future, exactly. All right. In chapter four, now that we've kind of gotten into the head of Moses and why he thinks the way he thinks and why he's going to argue with God the way he's going to argue with God and how he continues to doubt pretty much throughout the whole book Um We can feel bad for him. This is the pressure he puts on himself to perform. He is a perfectionist. In chapter four, Moses is going to continue to doubt. The conversation between God and Moses at the burning bush continues from chapter three. Moses has been resisting God's call by arguing with him. God has already won two of those arguments. In those he kind arguments, of has an advantage. He does know?
0: have an advantage. Don't ever try arguing with God. Well, well, it's so, a good you practice. can do it. Yes. You know, it, obviously, if Moses can do it, then go ahead. But you probably won't win. You won't win. <laughs> Just know. In those arguments and
1: going forward, we need to note that there is a lot of the use of the personal pronouns, I and me. And the first thing I want to point it out is Moses, He says, this is back in verse, in chapter three, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And God answers with his own personal pronoun, I will be with you. Then the second point, then Moses, still back in chapter three, doubts the Israelites and says, Well, who shall I tell them you are? Which seems really silly. And so God answers in almost a refusal to dignify the question with, God answers, I am who I am. And they all know very well who I am. Then third, in this argument today, Moses realizes he cannot win an argument about who God is. So he's going to fall back and return to me himself. It's
0: all going to be about me. All right, starting in chapter four, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you. So there's our first two me's. Can you hear the fear and insecurity in Moses' question? Me, 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 me. Yeah. What
1: do they don't want? Well, they're they're me. like an
0: insolent child. Me, yeah. me. Look at me. So that's that's the same question for all of us. Are you afraid that people aren't going to take you seriously? Me, me, me. Do you doubt and think you can't be used by God? That that he can't. You can't lead others to do great things for him or th- or with him. Um, And is your focus more on me, 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 me than it is on God, 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 God? Mm -hmm. And what do you need to do to change that today? Mm -hmm. Well, God's gonna respond
1: with three signs to build his confidence, to convince Moses that he
0: can do this because God's gonna do it through him. All right, verse two. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This said the Lord is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak and when he took it out, the Skin was leprous, it had become white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like that of the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, They may believe the second, but if they do not believe those two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. So let's talk about these
1: signs because they really are a prelude to what's going to happen later. And you can see God gently building his confidence, kind of leading him along and giving him hints to what's going to happen. So the first sign, the snake, this sign is like the plagues to come where God takes the ordinary and uses it to do something extraordinary. The plagues coming forward the gnats, the flies, the frogs are part of nature, but God is going to create an extraordinary imbalance in that nature. God also rules over creation and life, and he is going to demonstrate that by using create that by using creation for destruction and death. This kind of shows that he is ruling. It's going to prove to everyone that he's a great God, because, you know, they had lots of gods in Egypt. The snake was also probably intentional. Pharaohs, and you've seen this in pictures, often had this cobra-like headdress, this cobra on their headdress, you know, representing authority or power. They used that symbol of the cobra. Moses's first act with Pharaoh will be the sign that challenges the power of that cobra directly. The second sign, the leprous hand. This sign was super personal because I don't, I don't know if anything's ever happened to you. Like you get this bump on your face or something like that. It's like, oh, whoa, what is this? You know, to pull out your hand and it to be leprous would have been super horrible. It would have been like to us pulling out your hand and it having cancer. You would have totally freaked out because you have this disease that there was no known cure for. And it, so it was something that Moses, the other one, the snake, he could see But this one was something he could feel. It was another reminder that God rules over creation and life. It was a personal reminder. And it foreshadows the plagues that will inflict personal pain and disease, such as the boils. The third sign he speaks of, but doesn't really show him, is the water turned to blood. And again, anything that has blood is ramped up because blood was a symbol of life. So this sign is even more significant. Again, blood is that symbol of life, and it's also a symbol of death. And in just a few chapters, the blood over the doorposts will be a symbol of life for the Israelites and the absence of it a sign of death for every firstborn Egyptian.
0: And I have an observation that that I was making as we were reading that too. In the first two signs, when God told him to do what he told him to do, he did not hesitate. At least it doesn't say that he did. It wasn't mm-hmm. like Moses was kind of like, what the heck? Because mm-hmm. that's how I would be. Mm-hmm. And I mean, these are very literal things. But God's told me to do things before when I've been like, I don't know, God, that's kind of like weird. They're going to think I'm <laughs> weird. This kind of crazy. <laughs> and, I, and I make him tell me like multiple times. And he always tells me again and again, because I've had many times in my life when he's told me what to do and I didn't do it. And then when I do do it, it all turns out great. But um, the point is, Moses does not hesitate. He has this trust in God. And so I would question that in this case. You would? Why? So right now, because I do think Moses is a doubter and you
1: see his confidence build as a leader as he goes on. But in this case right here, he's got this burning bush in front of him. He really doesn't have a choice. Uh, I still think he has a lot of doubts and we're going to see coming up. That's why God gives him Aaron for, as a boost in confidence. But right now it's just he and God. I think Moses has a greater fear of people
0: than he, he does of God. God. So that's why he's doing it
1: without Yeah, He's hesitating. doing it right now and it's just he and God and it's no big deal but we see he really waffles when it when the Israelites come into play, and um, and he doesn't even waffle so much with Pharaoh. It's more the rejection of his own people that really makes him. Well, I think all of us are like that. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. All right, in the next argument, the fourth, Moses is going to get desperate. He is going to grab at straws to convince God that he is not the man for the mission he returns to pointing out his inadequacies with the now familiar pronoun, I am dot, dot, dot.
0: Moses makes a very lame excuse here. Verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. So we're we're not sure what
1: Moses's speech impediment was—possibly a stutter. stutter yeah. We don't know, but we know for sure. It, this is a lame excuse when the God of the universe just did two miracles in front of you. <laughs> you can't go back to. But I can't do it. Moses gives this very weak. But I am slow speech and God responds with but it is I that control your mouth. And there is a slight play on words here in the Hebrew. When God goes on to say I will help you speak, it translates literally I will be your mouth. Like you you are nothing cuz I will literally be your mouth. And there is a pattern here. Moses keeps returning to himself. I am. And God continues to refute with, but I am the I am. Is this where we get the idea of the great I am? Yes, Yahweh. We talked about that last because week. Because it Moses. means I am. Yes. In this case, because that was the first time it was mentioned. You've heard God be called that. Yes. But this is really the origin of it. Exactly. In this case, the I am of the universe is with his mouth. You can't argue with that. God is guaranteeing his success. Yes. This exchange gets at the heart of why Moses wants to opt out of God's call. There are two things Moses does not understand. First, the plan is the Lord's. It is never about I. It is about the I am. I am not the focus because I am not the I am. I am not responsible for success because I do not have the power to succeed. The I am eclipses all that I am. Let me say that again. The I am eclipses all that I am and it's his plan. Second, the Lord gets to choose the players for his plan. If God chooses you, you cannot opt out with lame excuses. You cannot delay. You can hide for a while,
0: but he sees you and he will find you and he will call you out. Don't you think though if God calls you to do something and you don't do it and he really needs it done he's going to find someone else oh, to totally, do it. Oh totally. Totally. But
1: if he wants to force you to do it, he you're can do that do too. It, yeah. <laughs> <It's not laughs> it's, it's, and that's the whole point. It's his choice. If he chooses you, he's going to use you whether you want you, you want it or not. Now, if he chooses you and he knows you're not going to concede, he's got a backup. Yeah. He's going to he's he knows he's going to use somebody else, but that's going to be your loss. The point is the same goes for us. The I am eclipses all. All that we are. All that you are. God will win the victory, not you. And And when he does, like we learned in Genesis, you need to give him the glory. Exactly. And if God picks you to be on the team, there's no option out. Do not make excuses. Do not hide. God will use you now or 40 years from now after you have learned your lesson in the desert. So if, if you want to be in the poster
0: for having been used by God, do it when you're young. Don't wait till you're 80. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to find out what happens to people who try to hide. We're going to get to a story about Jonah. Jonah. Oh, exactly. my word. It's bad. Yeah. God's Don't gonna try to hide. Put him in the whale. (laughs) He has his methods. Well, if you're giving excuses and you're trying to opt out of God's plan, maybe you don't believe that God has the power to do it through you. Think about that. Do you or don't you? He does. But if you don't believe that, maybe you need to spend some time with him and Mm -hmm. um, listen to what he's asking you to do and watch some of the miracles that he performs so that you can have faith. And take the next few weeks, because we're going to definitely see Moses grow in confidence and and
1: look for how God is growing you in confidence and take note of what he's doing in your life so you can be that, that person who becomes the leader that he wants you to be. Well, poor Moses, he has lost every argument he can think of. And there is nothing left to do.
0: So Moses begs God, please pick someone please don't else. Make me do it. Please. Verse 13, but Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. <laughs> please send someone else. <laughs> Who's ever said that before? <laughs> Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and I will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take the staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. All right. God reacts three ways here. First with anger. And we can't blame him. Well, it's frustrating because Moses is just being a pain. He has
1: just done miracles for the man and Moses is still not getting it. (laughs) Moses is not even using an excuse now. He is flat out saying, I don't want to go. Second, God gives in to Moses' concern with someone to share the burden. So thank you, Lord. He gives. He says, "Okay, take your brother Aaron. Note, though, that God says he will help both of them speak. We will see in the future that Moses will overcome his right sense to speak, and he's actually going to speak a lot. Also, God calls Aaron by his title, the Levite. And this is a little uh, clue or hint to us that points to his future calling as the leader of Israel's priesthood. So as Aaron is used less as a mouthpiece, he's used more as the priest. Third, God gives Moses this little reminder at the end that you might miss. He says, oh, and by the way, will you take that staff with you? Moses is leaving his current profession, shepherding sheep to shepherd Israel. staff, a symbol of lowliness and unimportance being, you know, shepherd's staff will become a
0: symbol of God's power. Well, and that's like a foreshadowing because Jesus is going to eventually say that the least of you will become great. Exactly. Because it is through
1: Moses's staff that God is going to part the sea, humble the Egyptian army and its leader, Pharaoh, save his people, the nation of Israel. And so he says this little thing, oh Moses, do not forget your staff. This is going to be your point of confidence. This is going to be your humble reminder of where you came from and that I can do big things through you. The point is God loves to use the lowly and the humble. Things like a wooden staff, like a carpenter, Jesus. Like you and like me, he likes to use the lowly and the humble to do the unimaginable. Well, Moses accepts the call. Finally, he's out of excuses and he's
0: out of begging (laughs) and he leaves for Egypt. Verse 18. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. What? Wait. Why would Moses say if they are still alive, God wouldn't send him
1: if they weren't? The speculation here in the commentaries is that Moses is too embarrassed that his father-in-law would think he's crazy if he told him the truth of what he was going to
0: do. Well, and like you said, he's worried about what people think. Exactly.
1: He lives in fear of people and he doesn't want to get into it with his father and like, like oh, yeah, I met this bush out in the woods and, <laughs> and God told me to go like save a million people with my staff. <laughs> you know, he doesn't even own any sheep.
0: <laughs> contrast with Noah, who yeah. we read, who wasn't worried about anybody thinking he, he was crazy. He's he just didn't. I'm building this
1: ship. Great contrast. You're right. Two different kinds of people. Yeah, totally. So, or possibly, maybe Moses was referring to the Pharaoh and Egypt's who wanted to kill him. We don't know, but in any case, it's kind of a weird statement. And those the speculation on that.
0: So, moving on. Jethro said, "Go, and I wish you well." Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh, all the wonders I've given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then, then, Say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But y- you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Okay, a little bit of randomness
1: here, and I want to dig into this because there are some obscure clues to our story hidden in here. All right. First, the staff. Did you pick up on that? Mm -hmm. Moses, remember, was reminded to take his his staff just a few verses ago and he obeys. This symbolizes that he is willing to become God's chosen means of salvation for the Israelites. He is taken on the role now. He takes his staff and voila. Suddenly in verse 20, you just read it is no longer Moses's staff. It is the staff of God God. in Moses's hand." hands. Moses is given a powerful gift, one that will surely bring him the confidence he needs to be the vessel through
0: whom God will save his people. Hey, all of us actually have the staff of God in our hand right now. And it is the Bible. You can literally hold it in your hand, in your pocket, in your phone. Right. All right. So another little oddity about Moses's family. Moses
1: has his family with him headed to Egypt. However, we're going to learn in chapter 18, he is going to to be reunited with his family implying that they were not with him when the, during the exodus We don't know when he sent them back to Midian, but he does. And it may have something to do with Zipporah's attitude coming up next. So hold on for that. All right. What about Pharaoh's heart? God gives Moses a summary of what is going to happen. And in it, a heads up about the tension between Pharaoh having a hard heart and God hardening his heart, which is a whole dialogue we will get to soon. There's lots of talk about that.
0: And I also think... That God might have been trying to give Moses some encouragement there, because He doesn't always tell him, "Here's what's going to happen." Yeah, when but I He do gives this. him a hint. <laughs> but, but He did it because He probably knew that if He went and asked, He would go right back to Him after that little exchange oh. and be like, "See, told you, wasn't going to work." God is super careful
1: with how He leads Moses down this path, because we're going to see next week Moses is kind of fragile at this point, not the future, but right now he's kind of fragile. All right, what about this final plague? It's so interesting. He actually, God gives him words to say to Pharaoh that actually pertain to the final plague. However, they are not the words that Moses is actually gonna speak next or for a while. God is giving Moses the end of the story first. He's giving Moses a glimpse of how deadly the battle with Pharaoh will become. This is not just gonna be a couple like, give Pharaoh a few threats and they're gonna be released. It's gonna become death. Why? Perhaps so Moses will know that God knows exactly how this is going to go down. And in the end, the harsh reality of the loss of Egypt's firstborn will convince the world of the importance of Israel as God's firstborn. God will save his people. And he says, if you noticed, this is what you're to say. Israel is my firstborn. And I told you, let my son go. He he calls Israel his son. Well, the language of sonship is very prevalent throughout the whole Bible. It expresses how closely God loves Israel. It also expresses how closely God loves Christ. Christ, however, fulfills the ideal of a perfect, obedient son. Matthew 3, 17 says, This is my son, whom I love, with whom, with him, I am well pleased. And because of christ it expresses how closely god loves the church we now are also heirs sons of god okay you got all the lots of clues in this just two little paragraphs it was really fun to read all right
0: so now we have this random incident at the end verse 24 at a lodging place on the way the lord met moses and was about to kill him but you didn't see that one coming no (laughs) But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched <laughs> Moses' feet with it. Yeah, things are getting a little weird. weird. <laughs> Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone at that time she said bridegroom of blood referring to circumcision Okay, so what the I heck know, is so going random. on there
1: sometimes I wonder why Moses just inserts the, you know he's the yeah, author of these he random he things. Left that he's part like out. oh yeah that was the night I had that fight with my wife <laughs> that, that's how I see this scene playing in like he's writing this chapter and he's going oh yeah before he moved on I had that fight with my wife and in my mind that's the scene it must have been the climax of an on ongoing marital conflict. The pain point was circumcision between he and Zipporah.
0: Could you imagine that? You get in a fight with your husband and you circumcise him? Okay, no, 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 not her husband. The, no, The no, son. No.
1: Okay, but listen, the pain point was circumcision. God's covenant with Abraham required that all males be circumcised. Apparently,
0: Zipporah- They hadn't done it. Zipporah because because not was not an, an Egyptian. Israelite. She was a Midianite. Ah. She was a Midianite,
1: not an Egyptian. Apparently, Zipporah objected su- to circumcising their son, alluding to her impression of the practice by calling Moses a bridegroom of blood. Can you just see this fight they had for years? You are not touching my son. You are like a bridegroom of blood. You just want to cut our son and make him bleed. That's sick. So they've been having this fight about circumcision.
0: Can you remind me what the Midians were? Were they Jews? Midianites. Midianites.
1: Uh, formerly, yes. Way back, they were Jews. Remember, they were Abraham's children from Keturah. I did not remember that. Keturah was the woman he married after Sarah. After
0: Sarah died, so they
1: would have, would have had some, you know, Jewish teaching, but they weren't from that bloodline that got the, the blessing. Got him. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so apparently Moses had either given in to her about this fight or was procrastinating doing
0: it because she was fighting him on it but okay god didn't like that i'm gonna obsess on this though if she was a jew why would she object to the circumcision okay but she was a midianite but she was from abraham's
1: line no they weren't hebrews only the Hebrews, the ones that carried the line, the blessed line Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so on the, they had the covenant of circumcision. The Midianites, the Ishmaelites, they went off and became their own people. They may not have carried some of the things they learned. They were aware of God. They certainly knew things. They certainly thought he was a good deal, obviously, because she, she married mm-hmm. Moses, but they didn't hold to all these practices. It just wasn't their tradition. So, Moses had, has given in to her on this they've he's procrastinated doing it and they're on the way to Egypt he's got to do he's got to be a leader and he hasn't even circumcised his own son and God doesn't like it and God confronts him and actually threatens to kill him which cracks me up that yeah. he threatened to kill him and perhaps that's because Moses who fears people feared his wife more than he feared God like I could just see him what did he have another argument with God uh, Moses before you go any further you need to circumcise that kid oh you know my <laughs> wife and I have a discussion going on that? And God literally looking at him going, if you don't do it now, I'm killing you.
0: (laughs) You There's probably some people out here that fear their wives more than God. Like
1: any other parent, if you don't do it now, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) So, you know, another point is, this is Moses writing it. So it probably was like his own stream of consciousness, like as he's writing this, yeah, I was on the way and I knew God was going to kill me if I didn't do this. But the point is that, you know, maybe, here's another point, another thought I think, thing I thought of, perhaps Moses was hoping God would actually kill him so he, he could wouldn't avoid have Pharaoh to and to do this leading thing. <laughs> he wouldn't have to take this new job. In the end, it's funny because it was Zipporah who steps in and does the deed. Rather, in his face about it, she touches the foreskin to, what does it say? His, his
0: um, um, just weird stuff. Whatever she did. Oh,
1: to, she, she touches Moses' feet. She actually goes and does it, takes the foreskin and touches his feet. Like, I am going to, all right, finally, I'm going to save your life, bud. I don't
0: like this. And she, like, here, I'm your servant, touches to feet. I don't know what that meant, but she does it. Well, I don't know how many of you like me would have just passed over that little sentence right there and been like, <laughs> that's really what weird. What does this mean? <laughs> now we all know. Now we all know. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 27, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say and also about all the signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites and Aaron told him everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had said, their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. Beautiful scene. The Israelites, yeah, moment. the
1: Israelites trust Moses without even asking for God's name, which was one of his, you know, excuses. What, what do I say they call that they call him? Exactly. So the score here is one to one, and we are going to keep score because you're. This is a very up and down ping pong game. Oh, well, I like so. That. Let's keep score. I'm one one very to competitive. one. The Israelites rejected Moses when he killed the Egyptian, and now the Israelites trust Moses and believe. That that he is God's chosen one to lead
0: them out. Next week, a different fight. <laughs> so this week we had the fight between Moses and God, the fight between Moses and his wife. And now, <laughs> next episode, we're going to talk about the fight between Moses and Pharaoh. Bring it on. What's a club without friends?